So uh, let's take our Bibles and go to Galatians chapter 5, and uh, we're going to be looking at verses 16 through 26. Uh, In your bulletin there is a copy of the uh, outline for this morning. So let's, let's read these verses, Galatians 5, verse 16. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Some of your translations may say the flesh, which is what I think is a more accurate translation there. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. So you'll notice Paul says there's a war going on here. Uh, the spirit is warring against the flesh, and the flesh is warring against the spirit. They, they are in conflict with each other so that you do, you, you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy and drunkenness orgies and the like. He says, like, like, this isn't an exhaustive list, but these are the things off the top of my head. Uh, it, it, I could go further with that. And, and he says, as you did, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Now, every one of you here this morning have a story that you can share, right? We all have stories about life through the course of our lifetime. Let's go back to your childhood. Maybe in your childhood you have some amazing stories. Maybe it were vacations that you took as a family. Maybe, maybe there was a teacher who encouraged you in school and really spoke life over you and just absolutely convinced you that you could do whatever it is that you wanted to do or needed to do. There are all kinds of stories that we have, both good, bad, and ugly. Because not every story in our life, if I were to give you pen and paper and say, hey, I want, you to, I want you to map out your story. I want you to start in childhood. And what are the big things that come to your mind about your story? And let's start writing those down. And you might write down the amazing things, but then you come against the painful things. And maybe they're trials or temptations that you yielded to over and over again that had devastating effects upon your life. Like this man in the video, you know, he's like, okay, I'm mad. I'm going to take more drugs. And... As a result of that, catastrophe takes place. Maybe you've been through a divorce. Maybe you've been through marital strife. And, and uh, you know, my wife and I, we've shared openly about the first 10 years of our marriage. It was, it was difficult. There was a lot of faction and dissension and bickering back and forth. And uh, we didn't get along real well because we didn't understand some things about ourselves and about one another. We were, you know, 19 and 20 years old when we got married. Of course, we knew everything, right? Everything. What 19, 20-year-old wouldn't know everything? Nothing bad could happen there. And so we found out very quickly we didn't know anything. And so we had difficulty. That's a part of our story. Um, Maybe it's some kind of hurt or habit or hang-up you have. And there is this thought process, though, that in the church, often this thought process rises to the surface, and it goes like this. Well, you know, if you come to faith in Christ and you start following the Lord Jesus and you're really putting your heart, soul, and mind into this relationship, 
that from then on, nothing bad is going to happen to you. How well is that working for you, right? It doesn't work that way. We, we live in a world where bad things happen even to good people. The Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. And so if you were to write your story, even after you came to faith in Christ, there are some painful trials and tribulations that you have faced during the course of your lifetime. It might be like me, a medical condition, or it might be a relational issue, or whatever it might have been for you. So the Bible is very realistic when it comes to our stories. In Job chapter 14 and verse 1, here's what he says. Anyone born of woman is short of days and full of trouble. Jesus said something similar in John 16, 33. He says, in this world, you're going to have troubles, right? You're going to have trials, you're going to have tribulations, but take, be at heart, I've, I've overcome the world, right? So James called these various trials. Um, Peter called them fiery trials. Regardless of what it is that you call them, how you label them, here's what God says when it comes to these painful, difficult experiences that we have had through our journey in life. And it's Romans 8, 28 and 29, and we love to quote that, but let's just stop and ponder that for a moment. We know that all things, all things, all things, everything that's a part of your story, the good, bad, and the ugly, all things, God uses them to those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. That God's going to use all those things who love God, called according to his purpose, for God foreknew he also predestined to become conformed to the image of Christ. And so what God says is that all these things in your story that make up your story, that God's going to use all of those things, that whatever trial, tribulations, difficulties you may have journeyed through, they are, they are used as a purpose, a tool in the hands of God. So here's how I, I, I will state this. You've heard me say this before, is that, Simply this, listen, and this is not on your outline, you might want to write it down. Sometimes God allows us to experience what he hates in order to produce in us what he absolutely loves. This is the process of brokenness. This is why we need breakthrough. This is why God has blessing on the other side, because he understands our makeup. He understands our, uh, our secrets. He understands our proclivity towards sin. He understands our, our, you know, where we struggle, and God wants us to be conformed to the image of Jesus, that we begin to live the life of Christ, have the mind of Christ, and therefore there are some things that God needs to break off of us in order for that to happen. So God never wastes a painful experience. It's not that God has sent you something specific, it's just that life brings us a lot of stuff, right? It's not that God sent me cancer, but God knew long before I was diagnosed with cancer, I would be diagnosed with cancer, and he knew the exact date. So he leverages this event in my life in order to break off some things so that I might be more conformed to the image of Christ, and my misery might be a platform for ministry. Right? So these are the things that there's no uh, pain without purpose in the hands of God. And so the Bible has a word for this. When God allows us to suffer what he hates in order to produce in us what he loves, the Bible calls that brokenness. That brokenness is not God breaking your spirit. God can't use a person with a broken spirit. It's what God is doing is to draw us 
into a state of absolute surrender to him so that when God speaks, when God guides, when God, God directs, when God confronts, rather than us excusing ourselves or um, arguing with God, we immediately, without excuse, uh, without putting up an argument, without rationalization, we offer ourselves instantly in obedience into the leading of the Holy Spirit because we want Him to guide us. Now, the Holy Spirit is the agent of brokenness, and we'll talk about that in a moment, but He is the one whom God uses in order to bring brokenness in our lives so that we come to this position whereby I'm willing to come with bended knee before my Heavenly Father because I want what it is that He wants to give, right? So the Spirit is always putting your feet on a path that leads to the best destinations in life. Every single day of your life, you make a lot of decisions. Some of them are minor. Some of them are major. You're going to get up tomorrow, and you're going to figure out what you want to eat for breakfast. That's kind of minor, right? God's not really interested in that. If you want, you know, go, if you want to go cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, go for it. Uh, but, but there are things that we do make decisions about that set our feet on a path, and every path has a destination. There is something at the end of that pathway. And God understands that in our brokenness, in our flesh, that we often make decisions that put our feet on a path that leads to disastrous results. And he wants to keep us from that, right? He wants to move us away from that. And so the Holy Spirit wants to guide our feet into the best paths that lead to the best destinations. And so as our shepherd, the Lord Jesus, the more you keep your eyes upon him, the more he can protect you, warn you, guide you, keep you from making decisions that have that disastrous results. But in our flesh, which I, I, I term that as being strong-willed, what do we want? We want to choose our own path. We want to call our own shots. We want to do it our way. And so the flesh is all about self. It's about me, mine, and mine, I, right? It's, it's about what I want and what I desire, regardless of what God says, Regardless of what God warns us of, this is what. So God, in the 23rd Psalm that I have written a blog about, is that Jesus is the shepherd, we're the sheep. Sheep have a tendency to wander. And if sheep don't keep themselves in close proximity with the shepherd so they can hear the shepherd's voice, they wander off into dangerous territory, which often leads to a disastrous result, even the losing of their life, because now they are open prey to their natural predator, and sheep have no defense mechanism against their natural predator. What God understands is that you and I are in the midst of a war, and it is Satan and God, it is the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of God, and God is in both realms, and now we're in both realms as followers of Jesus Christ, and if we don't keep our ears in tune with our shepherd, and if we don't walk in close proximity with our shepherd, we are in danger of getting off onto the wrong path that can lead to some very disastrous results. Now, it may not end up losing your life, 
But it can be that you live your entire Christian life having been forgiven by Jesus, but you have never learned how to walk in freedom. Did you hear what this guy said about himself? You know, this lie-based thinking that came across his, his thought processes, God can't forgive me, and I'll never be used, and I'm, you know, and he's just downing himself, self-condemnation. And for some of you, that's the way you live your life. You're constantly hearing the voice of condemnation, and you are accepting those lies that are being said about you as truth, and you operate on the basis of those lies as though it were true when it in fact is not true. And the reason why the evil one does that is because he wants to keep you from walking in freedom. So let's look at the broad perspective here for a moment, and it is simply this. It is the reality of an unseen realm. When God created you, the world in which we live in, and created you, the world in which we live in is a physical, material world, right? It's something we see. You have a physical, material body. But you have an invisible side of you called your soul and your spirit. Your soul is your mind, will, and emotions. God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He's one God and one essence. He created you in his image. Watch this, spirit, soul, and body. Notice um, the progression. Not body, soul, spirit. Spirit, soul, body. When God put Adam and Eve in the garden, and he put that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and he said, do not partake in it. Why? Because God wanted Adam and Eve to learn how to live on the basis of the voice of God, not trying to discern whether or not something is good or not. Not living by your conscience. Your conscience has been defiled by sin. It is unpredictable. It is unreliable unless it is leveraged under the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God. So God understands. He wants us to live on the basis of his voice so that we listen to our shepherd, we follow our shepherd, who's putting our feet on the path that leads to the best destinations in life. So if you're having marital problems, for example, how do we, how do we go about marital issues? Well, when people get married, you've got two big eyes who've come together in a relationship called marriage. Right, so when husband big eyes says something that hurts his wife's feelings, what does she do with those feelings? Does she bury them? Does she um, call her girlfriend and talk about her husband? What is she going to do with this? Oftentimes, people bury their feelings, and then over time, that hurt turns to anger, anger to resentment, resentment to bitterness, bitterness to unforgiveness, and then you're going to respond somehow, and oftentimes it's in a passive-aggressive way. So nothing's getting resolved, nothing's getting healed, and so now you have two big eyes, and so the husband feels like, oh, you're shutting him out because you have shut him down in many different ways, and he now feels neglected and abused, and not, not physical abuse, but emotionally, and so he shuts down, and if he's like me, you're like a turtle in the shell, and you just kind of clam up and crawl inside your shell, and now you have two people, and it's the silent treatment, and who's going to give in first, and who's going to break first, and so this is a mess, right? And so this is, these are the things that we deal with relationally. Why? Because uh, we are, we're in two different realms, and, and we can live according to the Spirit, or we can live according to the flesh, and sometimes even as followers of Jesus Christ, because the flesh had such a head start on us, 
uh, that's what we choose. So we have to come to that realization. In the natural world, we see the physical. And there's another world that's just as real. And so God wants us to live by his voice. We find his voice in his word. We find his voice when the Spirit speaks to us. The Holy Spirit knows how to take two big eyes, make them little eyes, and bring hope and healing back into their marriage relationship. But somebody's got to be listening, and somebody's got to be surrendering, and somebody's got to be responding to what the Spirit says. Amen? This battle in heaven, in heaven there's unity, love, joy, worship, deference to authority. This battle in heaven was a cosmic treason of Satan against God, and we we understand the story that God, um, you know, defeated Satan and his, 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 his uh, army of, of uh, angels who were fallen angels, cast down to the earth. Jesus says, I saw Satan falling to earth like lightning. And so there's this war on earth, and you and I as kingdom citizens are engaged in this war. Listen, love only works where there is freedom of choice, okay? God gave is created angelic beings, the freedom of choice, just like he gave it to us. However, having said that, love only works where there's freedom, and some of your pain is, I loved her, but she didn't love me back. I loved him and gave him my heart, and he stomped all over it. And so that's where the, the pain starts. And when you have a painful event in your life, you make an interpretation of that pain. But your interpretation is not always correct. What Satan will do is come alongside of you and offer an interpretation that is based on lies, and now you accept the lies of truth that's rooted in your pain that results in your brokenness, which results in coping mechanisms. And oftentimes we try to deal with our coping mechanisms that are very self-destructive, but you're fighting the wrong battle. You're not going to the source of the problem. We'll talk about that in a moment. But here's why this is important, is that freedom has a shadow side. In the same way you are free to love, you are free to, you're free to hate. In the same way that you are free to give, you are free to steal. There's always an opposite side to that. And Satan understands that and pushes our buttons in order to bring about his, his end result for our lives. Number two, everything God creates, Satan counterfeits, all right? Satan is a created being. He was a created angel. God is self-sufficient. He's outside of time, space, and matter, which is why he created time, space, and matter. And so Satan has no ability to create anything. He simply hijacks and corrupts and counterfeits what God has already created. This is very important that you understand what's going on in your mind, right? For example, God created angels. Satan created demons, right? He got people to side in his rebellion against God. God creates obedience. Satan creates rebellion. He wants you to live in absolute rebellion against your creator. And this is exactly how we come into the world. We come into the world with sin nature, and we have a natural bent towards rebellion. God creates truth. Satan counterfeits with lies. Satan, or God creates peace. Satan counterfeits with fear, right? If there is an absence of peace, there's going to be the presence of fear. But if there is the presence of peace, then there is the absence of fear. God creates unity. Satan counterfeits with division. God wants you to live in freedom. Satan counterfeits with slavery. And it all boils down to this issue, Paul said. 
There's only one of two ways you can live. You're either living according to the flesh, your life without God, your old rebellious nature, or you're walking in step and in tune with the Holy Spirit, and the end result of both of those, both setting your feet on a path, is divergently different from one another. All right, one leads to freedom, the other leads to slavery. So the question is, how do we appropriate what God has brought to us? Listen, hell has a culture. Hell, the third one is hell, heaven up and hell down. That is, God has already won the war in heaven, and so Satan and his demonic forces are here on earth. Ephesians chapter 2 says that Satan is the prince of the power of the air. He's the one that governing and control the world in which we live. We're now citizens of heaven, and so we're living in two realms. We're citizens of heaven, where the Holy Spirit is now indwelling us, but we're also citizens of planet earth, right? Citizens of the United States. So we have this war that is going on within us, and hell has a culture, and heaven has a culture. Paul says that the culture of heaven is what? Fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, all of these things. The culture of hell is hatred, discord, unforgiveness, bitterness, addiction, self-righteousness. Um, and at every moment and every day, we choose in our lives whether or not we're going to pull hell up or we're going to bring heaven down in our lives. The way we pull hell up is to live according to the flesh. The way we bring heaven down is to live according to the Spirit. There are two, which have two different outcomes. So that's the broad perspective as we look at the um, details. And I want to talk, first of all, about the pattern of brokenness. Here's a statement. Um, it's on your outline. Something is broken so that something else can be released. Something needs to be broken before something else can be released. This is true in your life. Something has to break before something else is released. Let me give you an example out of the Gospel of Mark. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus and his disciples had been uh, invited to a party at Simon the leper's house. Right? So they're sitting in there in, the, in this party, uh, in the, a dinner whatever it was, and so Jesus is sitting there, and all of a sudden, an uninvited guest comes into the room. This uninvited guest happened to be a prostitute. And so she had something in her hand, and it was an alabaster jar that was filled with a very expensive perfume. And so why did she come into this situation? Well, as a young woman, to become a prostitute in that day and time, means that you are desperate beyond measure, right? There was no social security system. There was no government assistance from the Roman Empire. And oftentimes, let's say if you were young and your husband died, oftentimes it left you destitute. And uh, so obviously she comes into this presence of Jesus and all those in this room. She has no sense of self-worth. She didn't believe she was worth anything. She had all of these negative, condemning thoughts rolling through her mind. And she believed that she had to use her body in order to survive. This was her old life. But somewhere along the road, she met Jesus. And we don't know if this was public, if it was private, but she had an encounter with Christ that forever changed the course and the direction of her life. 
She comes into this situation, and she brings this alabaster jar, and the Bible says in Mark's gospel, she broke it, and she poured the perfume over the head of Jesus, which would have filtered down over his entire body. And so this was an expensive perfume. In fact, it was worth, we are told, an entire year's wages. Now, those who were sitting in the room who witnessed this, like Simon the leper and some of his other friends, said, oh, this is such a waste. Why, this could have been sold for a year's wage and the money given to the poor. But yet, here's a woman who has been broken by life, and in the midst of her brokenness, Jesus intersects her life, brings her a breakthrough in her life, and ultimately, she receives the blessing and the grace of God showered all over her life. And in, in an act, in a moment of worship, she comes into that situation and she says, Jesus, in essence, uh, I'm giving you something rare, something that is expensive, and I am coming out of my shame, and I'm coming out of my humility, and I'm coming out of my sinful life, and I'm, I'm giving this to you. I am surrendering. And the reason why she broke the alabaster jar, which was off, and the perfume was poured out, which was often used by prostitutes, is because she was saying, I'm parting from my past profession. I'm leaving my former livelihood. I am laying it all on the line. I'm burning every bridge. I, there's no going back. And she symbolized that she would be broken before Christ so that there would be a releasing in her life. And of course, the releasing that would ultimately come is the Holy Spirit who would speak deep into her soul and remind her that you are no longer a prostitute. You're no longer a woman of no worth. You are no longer someone to be despised and treated like a piece of lint. You are now a child of the living God. You have worth, you have value, and God will never look upon you the same again. And she laid it all out in absolute, total surrender and said, in essence, I'm holding nothing back. Lord, you can have it all. You can have my life, and I will follow you the rest of my life. Something broken so that something could be released. There's another instance in the Gospel of Mark where something was broken. And it was Jesus when he gathered his disciples in the upper room and he said to them, as he prepared the Passover and as he shared it with them, this is my body, the bread, which is broken for you. I'm about to be broken. I'm about to be bruised. I am about to suffer death. And he invited his disciples to celebrate that symbolic meaning. And he took the, the wine and he says, this, is, this cup is going to be poured out for you. And I'm, I'm going to pour out my blood. And I'm, I'm going to take the blood and the body and I'm going to bring them together. And in essence, I'm going to provide for you salvation. I'm going to provide for you for a way to have your sins forgiven, to have your sins cleansed. 
for you not to be a nobody but a somebody because you are of worth and you are of value to the very God who created you and he wants relationship with you and he wants forgiveness over your life and he wants freedom over your life. He wants to break off the chains of slavery that have held you in a prison of self-condemnation and I'm going to give to you the keys of the kingdom of God and a key is something that opens up and has a key is to a door, plural, a door of every hellish door that Satan has erected in your life. God wants you to open the door, and he wants you to experience divine healing and divine freedom, breakthrough and blessing, so that you can walk not just forgiven by Christ, but that you can walk whole and free, and those coping mechanisms that you've been relying upon all of your life to bring some kind of healing and some kind of comfort and some kind of distraction all of which never work, but simply put our feet on a path that leads to a disastrous destination. God wants to open up every one of those doors, every painful event, every emotion that is rooted in that lie and that pain so that he can bring you freedom. And this is what Jesus is offering. Jesus is inviting us not to a life of comfort and ease. He's inviting us to a life of surrender and, and sacrifice. So here's another fill in the blank is this. God always does a breaking work in you before he does a blessing work through you. Every aspect of ministry in my life has always come on the backside of brokenness. And God broke something in me to give me a breakthrough so that that brokenness could result in blessing, not only in my life, but through my life into the lives of others. Number two, here's the purpose of brokenness. It addresses three issues. One is the destructiveness of sin. Remember Paul says you can walk in the flesh or you can walk in the spirit. To keep you from what? Doing what you want to do, right? The natural draw and desire of the flesh is always towards the counterfeit. But you have, and you have a foot in both worlds, Satan's kingdom and God's kingdom. That's why sinning as a Christian makes you miserable because it goes against the deepest part of you where the Holy Spirit resides. And so there's the desires of the flesh and there's the desires of the spirit. What is the desires of the flesh? What's he talking about here? He's talking about your life without God, you living... For self, you, you forsaking the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And, and Paul says, here's the result of this. And he, he really laid them out in three categories. Here are the, uh, of the flesh, here are the sexual sins, the spiritual sins, and the social sins that are a result of walking in the flesh, which is exactly where your enemy Satan wants you walking. Right? He doesn't want you walking in the spirit, he wants you walking in the flesh. And all of us, all of our lives will struggle with the flesh, okay? There's, you're never going to get to the point in your life that you're untemptable, that you always make the right decision, that you always make the right call, that you never cave to the flesh. The question is, how do you respond once you've done that? That's the issue for we as believers. And so there's the desires of the flesh that are always pulling at us, and it's the way that Satan baits you into into temptation, all right? 
He baits your hook with something. He knows where you're vulnerable. He knows your weaknesses. He has studied you all of your life. He knows exactly how you respond to certain things. And here's why. Because oftentimes, as I ask you to write your story, you're going to write some painful events. And in that pain, rather than resolving that pain, you made an interpretation of that pain, especially as a child. Children are great observers, but they're horrible interpreters of pain. And so now you've built, Satan comes along and builds, takes that painful event, gives you an interpretation that is not based on truth, but is based on lies, and you accept those lies as being truth, and now you begin to build a conviction around those truths that are actually lies, right? And it's very difficult for people to go against their convictions, right? Convictions are the things that you live by, that you'll, you'll live and die over. So now all of a sudden it's become a conviction. For example, if you've been sexually abused as a child, what is the first thing that happens? In your mind, you are told, this is your fault. This is your fault. And you feel abused, and you feel angry, and you feel ashamed, and you feel dirty, which is oftentimes why you'll, you'll run, and you'll take a shower, you'll take a bath, you're, you're trying to cleanse yourself. And so the evil one takes an extremely painful event, and he just infiltrates your thought processes with lies that you have now accepted as truth and have made of interpretation, and now you want, don't want to deal with it because you don't want to put, you know, put a rift in the family if it's a family member or whatever it might be, and so you cover it up, or maybe your parents, which is even worse, said, hey, just don't worry about it. It'll, you know, the pain will eventually go away. We need to move on with life. You need to move on with life, and now you carry this hurt and this pain all throughout the course of your life, and it comes up in many ways in the brokenness, and you develop coping mechanisms in order to keep those emotions stuffed down on the inside, but those coping, emotion, um, coping mechanisms are not, are not helpful. This is why oftentimes people become an, become an addict, whether it's drugs or alcohol, because when that pain surfaces, listen, you don't know what to do with it, but at least you can squelch it for a while. At least you don't have to feel something for a while. This was, this was the source of my addiction, is because I just wanted to silence the pain. I knew it was going to come back up. It was going to rear its ugly head again. But at least for a while, I didn't have to feel anything. I didn't have to think about anything. And I didn't have to try to resolve something. And so then there's the desires of the Spirit, which... He gives to us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. So because of the destructiveness of sin, God brings us to brokenness and breakthrough and blessing. Number two, because of the deceitfulness of your heart. The deceitfulness of your heart. Jeremiah 17.9 says this. And Jeremiah chooses his words very carefully. Here's what he said. The heart is deceitful above all things. And beyond cure, who can understand it? The heart is, as in both yours and mine, Jeremiah says, um, there's a big difference between being dishonest and being deceitful. 
right? You can be dishonest with yourself, and it doesn't take you very long to realize, you know, I'm just really being dishonest. I'm, not just, I'm really not being honest with myself. But deceit is something that is very hard to detect, very difficult to see within ourselves or even in another person. And we might claim that they are being deceitful, but we're really not sure. And so deceitfulness, he says, is beyond cure. It's a permanent condition. You can't outgrow it. You can't outmature it. It is there, and it's going to something that's going to be you're going to struggle with your entire life. And Satan understands this, and he knows how to play. He's the author of deceit, right? God says he's the father of lies. That's all he does is lies. So he leverages lies against our deceitful hearts, and we deceive ourselves. And then James or Jeremiah says, "Who can understand it?" Which is why we often say to ourselves, I just don't understand why I said that. I just don't understand why I did that. I just don't understand why I fell for that again. And as I said last week, I've talked myself and deceived myself into every bad decision I've ever made. And so have you. And Jeremiah comes, uh, he says we come into this world with this proclivity of, for selling ourselves on what we want to do rather than what we ought to do or what the Lord wants us to do. And so we lie to ourselves, and we believe those lies. And Jesus says, you'll know the truth, and it's the truth that's going to set you free. Now watch this. When you've been hurt, and Satan's interjected lies into the middle of your pain, and you've accepted those lies as truth, you've just deceived yourself. But deception is hard to see in ourselves. It takes an outside source to unveil the deception. This is where the Holy Spirit's going to come in. We'll talk about it in a couple of weeks. He comes in, and he's the one who, sh who shines the light of truth and exposes our deception and the lies that are rooted in our pain. Hold that thought. Here's the third reason, is the depth of our pain. Pain affects our emotions and our feelings can be the biggest obstacle to overcoming truth. Now, let me just say this uh, for sake of time. Let's say, for example, you're addicted to pornography. Pornography is not the problem. Well, it is a problem, but it's not the, the, the root problem, right? So what do you do? You say to yourself, as a Christian, I know I shouldn't be doing this. And so you try to figure out a way you're going to stop this only to be defeated again. You give in to it. You cave. So what's Satan do? He comes along and starts condemning you. You know, if you're really a follower of Jesus, if you really loved Christ, you would have never done that. So you feel guilty, and then you do what? You confess to God. You repent of it. God, I'm not going to do this anymore. I promise you with a repentance with a promise. You make some adjustments in your life. Okay, I'm going to do whatever I can to get that off the screen of my phone. And you start performing now. You're trying to, you're trying to you know, uh, not do it again. But the problem with all of this is it's based on self-will, on willpower. So what happens? You, you, you are absolutely um, honest with God that you really want to break this, right? You want to break this off of you. But then just a matter of time, something happens. Your emotions start flooding your, your mind, and then all of a sudden, Satan, he knows you're emotionally ready, so he always provides what? The bait, the hook, 
and he, he knows that you're, you have this weakness in your life, and so he throws something across your phone that you weren't looking for, but all of a sudden it appears, and you get locked in emotionally, and your mind goes to mush, and you're right back into the porn again, and then you feel defeated, and Satan comes along and condemns you, and now out of guilt you confess it, and you repent of it, and you make a promise, you make another adjustment, and you try to perform some more, only to be defeated all over again. Does this sound familiar? It does not have to be a pornography problem. It could be a lot of problems. It is a coping mechanism. It is not addressing the root issue in your life. So what is the root issue? It is always rooted in a pain that is lie-based driven. When the Holy Spirit is going to help you break this off, he's always going to unveil a pain in your life that you interpreted based on Satan's lies and you accepted it as truth and your heart has deceived you over the years. Well, this is why I've got a porn problem. When the fact of the matter is Satan knows, here's the root of the problem but he is going to keep you from getting to the root of the problem. But I'm here to tell you that the Holy Spirit is more than willing and able to help you get to the root problem so you deal with the root problem. And once you've lifted out the root problem, then the coping mechanism will go away. You won't need it anymore. You'll be free from it. It won't be a problem for you. I'm not going to say that Satan won't try to tempt you again, but I'm going to equip you with what you do in the midst of that temptation. But listen, you on your own will never, ever break this off until first you've received healing at the root of your pain. That's where it starts. Hebrews 4, 12 through 13 says, the purpose of God's word is not to make you feel better, but to divide all the way down to bone and marrow. What's God saying? We got to get to the root issue. There's a reason why you establish this coping mechanism. And if you just try to fight the coping mechanism, you're operating on sheer willpower, which is not very strong. Let's get to the root issue. Let's let God bring breakthrough in that pain, shine his light upon the lies, give you truth that renews your mind, that ultimately leads to a transformed life. Does that make sense? Say amen if you're hearing me. All right. The agent of brokenness, again, is the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul says you got to walk with the Spirit, right? Walking speaks of relationship. You need a relationship. You need to learn how to walk with, be led by, listen to the Holy Spirit because he wants to help you get to the root issue that leads to breakthrough that enables you to experience the blessedness of God. Listen, God has a plan for your life. Your enemy has a plan for your life. So you better be ready for both. Just be wise enough to know which one you are to battle and which one you are to embrace. So here's the last thing. Remember, there is a direct correlation between crushing and anointing, between brokenness and God's blessing. 
God wants you to be blessed. God, and a part of that blessing is that you're walking in the Spirit. You are producing the fruit of the Spirit that you are experiencing the freedom of Christ. And so we have to learn how to let the Holy Spirit deliver us from those painful issues in our lives that we have ignored, we have covered up, we have lived in deceit, we have suppressed. All of those issues that always, always, always come out in some specific way. My wife said, put something down uh, on our, our whiteboard, and I, I missed this. Uh, notice under the depth of your pain, this is very, very important. Satan, wa- Satan wants you to stay in your pain. The Holy Spirit wants to heal you of your pain. But here's the statement. You will repeat what you do not repair. If you don't allow the Spirit to get to the root cause of your problem and repair that, you will constantly repeat the behavior. I don't care how hard you try and how desperately you want to break that off. You need a power source that's greater than yourself to enable you to walk in the freedom of Jesus. Let's bow our heads together. We're going to have our worship team come and uh, you know, brokenness is actually the very first step into Christianity. Um, Jesus said, unless a seed is planted and it dies, it can produce no crop. And this is really what salvation is about. We come with our brokenness, like the, the prostitute who burst into the room with, with Jesus and all those at the dinner, and she came in her brokenness because she had been she had experienced a breakthrough through what? Through a relationship with Jesus Christ that enabled her to walk in the blessing of Christ over her life. And that's what God wants for you, right? He wants you to experience his blessing, his forgiveness, his freedom. He wants to remove, remember what Paul said, for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation. Satan has nothing he can bring against you that Jesus has not already addressed. So let's start leveraging what Christ has done on our behalf so that we can walk in freedom day in and day out. But it all begins with surrender to the, to the feet of Jesus. Where I'm receiving Christ to be Savior of my life, the one who forgives me of my sin, who brings me into the family of God, who indwells me with the Holy Spirit, and then I'm able to walk in the fullness of the Spirit day in and day out, and thus experiencing the freedom of Christ. My friend, it all begins with Jesus. It's all wrapped up in Jesus. And so if you're here, you've never accepted Christ as Savior and Lord of your life, I encourage you, I, I beg, I plead for you to come to the feet of Jesus. Because we're going to stand and sing, and I'll be here at the front. I'd love to talk to you further about this, answer whatever questions you may have most important dramatic decision you'll ever make in your life. But it is a life-changing decision that will forever enable you to break off that which you're trying to cope with life with. And he'll set your feet on the best paths that leads to the best destinations so that you experience the greatest blessings that God has to offer. Father, I just pray this over Anyone here today who needs Jesus as Savior, God, may they accept him and receive him today by faith. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Let's stand together as we sing.